I'm Erin. And I'm Francesca. And you're listening to The Lady Cave, where ladies do as they please, and we find out how it's done. Bonjour, mon ami. Erin, you know we only took a semester of French in college, right? There's no way we can pull off introducing our next guest in French and do her any justice. Ugh, you're right, but I thought it was worth a shot. One day, Erin. One day. Also, I'm coming down from the contact high of interviewing our last guest, Kate Cunningham. Ugh, she was a dream. I loved what she said about finding her own bliss and how much time she just spent laughing as a new mom and her relationship with filmmaking and the idea of authenticity today as the only way we can engage with another human in a meaningful way and just like pretty much everything she said. And as we continue to have these conversations with these dreamy goddesses, our next guest is a perfect example of a complex international badass. Totally. Alex Chin is a programmer and activist based in Brooklyn who embraces fear and is determined not only to shape her own life, but to shape the world. So much badassery. When she's not speaking at conferences about the superficial indicators we use to understand the world around us. Or running a re-entry program for the formerly incarcerated. Or mentoring teenage girls through the process of launching a sustainable food sources app. She can be found dancing because how the hell else would you decompress after saving the world? The lady dances circles around us all, literally and figuratively. And we're so happy to finally have a chance with her in the lady cave. So without further ado... That's French, right? Mm, no, not at all. all right, maybe. Please enjoy the decadent and ferocious Alex Chin. Today in the Lady Cave, we have with us Alex Chin. She's a Brooklyn-based developer, teacher, and activist. She's also the creator and leader of the Code Cooperative, a prison re-entry program in which former inmates learn to code. Welcome to the Lady Cave, Alex. It's such a pleasure to have you with us today. We've been dying to get you in here for a while now. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's an honor to be here. You're both amazing. I love your podcast. Love Yay, the Lady Cave. Yay, fam. Um, well, so I've had the good fortune of meeting Alex over two years ago now at Grace Hopper Conference, uh, which is the largest gathering of female technologists in the world. And since then, I've just seen you continue to take the tech community by storm. You've been speaking at conferences and mentoring young girls, and now you're going on to create the Code Cooperative. You've basically dedicated yourself to making tech accessible to everybody and have made amazing strides in that realm. But before we get into more details about that, let's talk about what's led you to where you are. And can you tell us about your life growing up in Paris? Yes, so I am originally from France, um, but my father is Chinese. Thank you for pronouncing my name correctly. Yes. So I grew up in France with my mom in Paris. It was a kind of an interesting experience because I was like one of, like maybe one of the only Asian people I knew growing up. So it was just like surrounded with white people and really like identified with whiteness, even though I wasn't white. And so like I experienced a lot of like racism, but that I didn't really recognize as racism at that time. Um, and that's why I, I mean, growing up in Paris was beautiful. You have access to all this culture and art and food. Um, but it was also very, a little dehumanizing for me and for my sister, who looks even more Chinese than I do. And uh, so I kind of always felt that I wanted to leave and um, just like go to a place where I could be more accepted, if that makes sense. 
Absolutely. So you're unbelievably independent and autonomous and devoted to changing the world. Do you feel like you learned that from your family or did you find it in a community when you moved or how did that happen? Definitely learned that from my mom. Okay, I was listening to, I was psyching myself up for this podcast, and I was listening to Miss Independent by Neo and, like, <laughs> Independent Ladies or Women by Destiny's Child on the way over. And, like, yes. thinking about, I was like, these songs are so about me. Like, I'm very independent. And I definitely learned this from my mother who was, d- divorced my father when I was very young and has always, like, forged her own path, is a total, like, badass boss lady in her own right. And you know, has always been financially independent and has always taught me that that's like one of the most important things in life is to not have to like rely on a man. And it's weird that her version of feminism is just dependent upon like your position versus a man. Like it's still kind of like an old school idea of feminism, Mm -hmm. but definitely learned from her that I need to be able to support myself. I need to have my own goals and like create my own life. Yeah, she's, she's an amazing lady. I also think that it should be like a prerequisite, pre-Lady Cave thing that we have them listen to Independent Women by Destiny's Child and maybe the Neo song. <laughs> maybe. Just an option. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, there's a common theme here. But um, you left France for New York when you started at NYU. Did you have any idea at that time that this would become your permanent home? And what about New York that has kept you here this long? I originally came to the United States because it was kind of this like idea of the American dream. Like I watched, I consumed a lot of American pop culture and media, and it just that was like the the my version of being an angsty teen was just like kind of rejecting a lot of like French culture and just embracing American culture. So I was kind of obsessed with America, and I you know visited America to tour some like colleges and came to New York to visit NYU and I was like this city is terrifying this is so overwhelming I don't think I could live here and that's why when I like got in I was like I should go to this place I should go to the place that is scary which is generally how I make decisions like what is the most intimidating thing and I really have loved living here for the past seven years I love that everyone who lives in New York is building their own thing is here because they care about doing the best Thing in their own world. Everyone is essentially an entrepreneur and an artist and hustling. I've been here my entire adult life, so this is my home. Is your relationship with computer science and programming similar to your relationship in New York with New York in the sense that it was the most intimidating thing available, so you decided to dive in headfirst without looking back ever? That is a great parallel that I haven't thought of. Yes, I initially started programming like randomly because I wanted to start the engineering program at NYU and one of the requirements for the program was to take an intro to programming class and I was just like oh that sounds cool I have no idea what this is and it just blew my mind how much fun it was I felt like I have never had like a great talent for any artistic thing which has always made me really sad and I felt like when I started to program I had finally found an art form through which I could express myself and I could be creative and analytical at the same time. And it was just like endless possibilities. And it was just one of the most incredible experiences I had ever had. So I just kind of like dove in head first. The fact that it was a male dominated field also was like made it appealing to me because I was like, oh, this is going to be hard. This is going to be a world in which I'm going to have to work twice as hard to be accepted, which is for some reason, I always want to do the hard thing. So it was 
very attractive for a lot of reasons. Why do you think you want to do the hard thing? Because my mom does the hard thing. And she taught, she told me this, she told me this story. She's had like a very interesting life. She's like traveled all around the world and she's had like a lot of difficult situations and a lot of difficult relationships. But her main message to me growing up was, you need to work really hard and never take the easy way out. So I don't know, I just like doing the things that are hard. It's like really instilled in you. I guess. <laughs> I remember asking her when I was a kid, like I was really, I really liked Lady Di, Princess Diana. Mm. And I was like, mom, how do I be a princess like Lady Di? And she was like, work really hard and be really nice. <laughs> and that then will happen. I was like, oh, okay. And you're like, all right, I'm getting back to that book right now. Goals. Go. <laughs> Life goals. Yeah. So all of this just kind of flows nicely. But um, since you have completed NYU and gone into the tech industry, um, you've focused majority of your efforts on educating and mentoring those underrepresented in tech. Um, so what experiences have led you to shift your energy towards this? When I first started programming, one of the reasons why I really liked it was that I believed it was kind of like gender blind and like race blind because it was like you're you're just measured your success is measured by the quality of your code and no one knows who you are on the internet you, you know and that's what i liked about it i then realized this is entirely untrue after i started programming professionally i just had a variety of really unfortunate encounters um, in tech, which is like heavily male dominated, heavily dominated by white people, and can be very hostile and broy. I had so many of those experiences at a certain point that I almost was on the verge of saying, like, I should leave programming. I should no longer be a programmer anymore. Why do I love programming so much if the community doesn't sh show the same love back to me? Um, but since I like doing the hard thing, I decided I'm going to stay in this field, but as long as I stay, I'm going to work really hard to ensure that I make it a more inclusive space so that others might not have to go through the same experiences that I have. And so is that kind of what, um, I, I had heard through Erin that you recently mentored two high school girls um, in building a mobile app for Technovation, a global initiative that challenges girls to build mobile apps that enact social change. Um, could you tell us more about that and kind of what you want to go on to win? Sure, time? yeah. Um, so I've worked with lots of different organizations. I, I like teaching women to code, but I also just am very passionate in general about teaching any population that's underrepresented. So people of color, immigrants, people who don't have computer science degrees or college degrees at all. Um, but it's really easy for me to relate to young girls because that's also what I am. And I just love teaching kids in general. Um, I was, by luck, introduced to these two high school girls um, through another programming teacher that I know. They reached out to him, mentioned that they were competing in the innovation competition, uh, which, as you said, is a competition for young girls and women all over the world to build mobile apps that solve problems in their community. Um, it's an incredible organization. It, it involves, like, I think it, the reach was maybe 900 teams of girls from all over the world competed. 
um, from almost every country. Very exciting. So they, they reached out to him and said, we're competing in this. We need a female mentor. And he reached out to me and I, I kind of decided I was going to work with them even before meeting them um, because this is the kind of thing that I'm very passionate about. So we met and their idea was they wanted to solve the issue of food waste. So apparently, and I learned a lot about um, food during this project, uh, over s one billion pounds of produce go to waste every year in America. Um, and a lot of, this is largely due, I mean, there's a lot of factors, but it's largely due to the fact that a lot of food that farmers grow doesn't meet the aesthetic standards to be sold in supermarkets. So they essentially have to, I think, get rid of like one out of five truckloads of food or something because it's not pretty, um, even though it's just healthy to eat and completely fine. It just Still doesn't, food, yeah. exactly. Like, I mean, we've all been guilty of this. Like we go to the grocery store and we get the nicest apple, mm -hmm. exactly. And so they wanted to address this issue um, by building a mobile app that connects farms to restaurants um, so that restaurants could buy ugly produce at, the, at a discounted rate and prepare it because rest, like at a restaurant you prepare the food so that it doesn't even look like its original form so it doesn't really matter what it looked like originally. So it's, it's a really great idea and it was very serendipitous because I have a lot of ties to food and farming in New York. My partner um, is a chef and runs uh, an urban farm in Williamsburg, and um, they are both so um, passionate and skilled that I felt that this would be a very special um, experience, which it really was. For like about five months or three months, we would meet up every week and I would help them debug. It was a Swift app, um, so we built the app for iOS. They were good programmers, but they really had never built a, a big project before. And I got to teach them about databases and APIs, and they implemented authentication and ha had like real data. And their app was like much more complex than any other app in the competition. I believe that's why they made it to the finals. Um, so they had to write a business plan and film a video of like um, explaining why their app uh, solves the problem in their community. Um, it was one of the best, it was by far the best teaching experience I'd ever had because it was entirely student-led. It was their project. They decided what they wanted to build. They were driving it. They were working on it all the time. And I really wasn't doing anything. Like I literally wasn't teaching at all. I was just finding a space for us to meet every week, helping them debug. And I'm not an iOS developer. so. I couldn't really solve their issues. We had to Google them together, which is why they learned so much more. And I was just kind of like their project manager and coach. Like I would just say, what are the tasks we want to work on next week? Okay, let's narrow down the scope of this thing. And uh, they did everything. I literally did not teach them a single thing. So I learned a lot from, from that experience. And um, we ended up making it to the finals. They were picked one out of like 10 finalist teams from a pool of like 900 teams from all around the world and we got to travel to San Francisco and meet all these other girls who were building amazing things to solve problems in their community from um, Kenya, Uganda, Kazakhstan, Mexico, Canada, other places in the US and they were all so inspiring and they made it to the second place. Uh, they were so proud. It was incredible. All right. So that's been your summer more or less. Yes. Um, and 
So now this fall, you're going on to start the Code Cooperative, which we kind of introduced briefly in the beginning. Um, the program sounds incredible, but we want to hear much more from your standpoint. I'm really excited about this project. It kind of happened like by chance. I wasn't expecting to start my own educational program so soon. This was one of my main goals in life. The reason why I'm passionate about issues of diversity and inclusion in tech are obviously they stem from my own experience, but also because it's it's really crucial that as we move forward in this world that is increasingly becoming dependent on technology, that the people who are building the things that we use every day reflect the population that is using them. And that's incredibly untrue as it is now and that's actually like caused to actual deaths like I'm sure you've heard of when the first airbags were being designed the team that designed them was entirely men and so they weren't designed with women's frames in mind so the first airbags actually like killed some women um, and so it's it's really crucial that people who are building the technology actually reflect the population of the world and so I wanted to start an educational program that was at the same time, or that teaches programming, that was at the same time very rigorous and capable of affecting social change, and at the same time accessible, entirely free. Um, because I've had a lot of experiences in teaching where I'm working with populations that are underrepresented in tech that wouldn't normally have access to these kind of opportunities, but it's all volunteer-based, the curriculum is lacking, the goals are never really met. It's just not as rigorous as I would want it to be. And I've had other experiences, for example, with Technovation, where it's a fantastic idea. It's entirely student-led. The people are learning so much, but it's really inaccessible to people who can't afford to have computer, to buy, like to own computers or phones or like pay for programming classes. Like these girls that I mentored, they're incredible and they, they're making a difference in the world, but they go to some of the most expensive private schools in New York, which is how they learned to code in the first place, which is how they heard about this competition in the first place, because they were touring Google, and Google showed the documentary about... So after the Technovation experience, I thought, this is an incredible model, teaching code as a means to create social change. How do we take this and make it actually accessible to all? So I wanted to start a program that would be a mixture of student-led learning and very skills-based teaching that would ensure that people could go on to build anything they want to build, but that was framed um, within the context of creating social change. At the same time, while I was building out this plan, I became very interested in issues of the criminal justice system in America. I, I felt that there, I needed to become a part of the Black Lives Matter movement, learn more about what is happening in prisons. So I started reaching out to a lot of organizations that work, that do educational services for people who are currently incarcerated or previously incarcerated, and reached out to a few. And the Fortune Society, an amazing organization that does prison reentry services, um, responded to me. I originally reached out saying like, hey, would you be interested in me coming and volunteering to teach a programming class? Or I don't even know if that even makes sense. I could teach math, anything. And they uh, responded saying like, yes, a lot of our participants have actually really been yearning to learn how to code. So um, it was this kind of serendipitous moment where I had this educational program plan that was originally in my mind going to kind of apply to middle schoolers. Um, and I had this opportunity to teach um, people who had been 
recently released from prison and it just made perfect sense to join these two projects together. And that's how the Code Cooperative was started. So to switch to other very important topics, totally. um, I have to ask, as someone who previously had also shaved her head, about the talk you gave recently at Right Speak Code conference um, titled How Shaving My Head Made Me a Better Programmer. Um, that's that's pretty badass. Yes. Um, actually, you were hearing the story of how you shaved your head gave me the boost of confidence in shaving my head, actually. No because way. I talked to Erin about it. When we <laughs> met at Grace Hopper, I still had long hair at that point. I'd never had short hair, and I was talking about how I wanted to cut my hair short, and Erin had mentioned how she had a friend who routinely shaves her head, and I was like, man, that's fucking badass. So, um, so the title of my talk is a little misleading. It's called Shaving My Head May Be a Better Programmer. That is not true. It, it's, it's, what the talk is about is really about um, biases that we have about who can be a programmer and even a good programmer and how that affects people in the programming community. And the second part of the talk is about tactics and tools we can use to minimize these biases and create um, inclusive work environments. And so the story of why I shave my head is I, as I mentioned earlier, when I first entered the world of programming professionally, I just encountered like a shitstorm of misogyny and bullshit and like even racism. A lot of it was due to the way I presented. I'm extremely, feminine. well, feminine, yes. And um, that is something that is at the time, even now, but especially at the time, like five years ago, like not okay for a programmer to be. I was. Someone I know put it extremely well. She said, it felt like being hyper-visible and invisible at the same time. And um, I decided I was just so sick of being treated this way because of my appearance that I was gonna hack my appearance because I'm a hacker. And so I shaved my head and the most ridiculous thing happened overnight with was I became a good programmer the next day. People stopped questioning my abilities. I would walk into a room filled with programmers and they would look to me and say, hey, what, you're, you're technical, What's, what are your thoughts on this? When previously I had always been dismissed and discounted and disrespected and also hit on at every event that I was at. And now I was no longer this hypersexual feminine programmer, I was just programmer, even good programmer. This was mind-blowing to me because even though I knew in my heart that I was being discriminated against based on my gender, and now I had proof on this like very personal level, that was really a kind of like catalyst um, for me deciding to affect change in the community. Totally badass. Bringing it back home with the feminists, um, we always close our... Um, episode of each podcast with the same question, um, and that is, what do the words Lady Cave mean to you? Well, whenever I hear the words Lady Cave, I think of a vagina, mm -hmm. um, but I love, <laughs> I love what Lady Cave means because it's about creating a space where women can just be human beings, which is almost hilariously the opposite of what a man cave is, which is like a man cave is where a man can be a man times a hundred thousand uh, because a man can just be in normal life and is a fully formed human being that is respected and has all these opportunities and rights. However, the lady cave is just a safe place for a woman to be understood as a human. Yeah, lady cave is rad. 
Amen. Yes. <laughs> thank you so much. Yes. Thank, thank you so much. This was so fun. This is awesome. We'll have to do part two. And with that, we bid you adieu. Now we got it down with the French. I really don't think that was actually French. We're feeling good about it. Let's I just, tried. Let's just go on. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening today. We really appreciate Alex joining us for the show and you guys tuning in. You can find out the amazing things that she's doing at codecooperative.org. And if you want to reach out to The Lady Cave, you can find us on Twitter and Medium at The Lady Cave Podcast. Do it. Yeah. Have an amazing day. All in of life. It. Bye. Bye.